Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. It's really cool. I found out one of the um, local convenience store bodega type places actually delivers beer. Contact free delivery. Real quick, and I swear on all that I hold dear, I'm not making light of anything that's going on. I also know this is a very serious, very grim time, a very real time. But there is definitely something strangely fascinating about the idea that, of course, most places are trying to stay afloat. But I couldn't even think about drinking a tall boy in like a brown paper bag. Without, you know, local PD being like, hey, knock that off. But the fact that now restaurants are like, hey, this margarita we just mixed for you? Or this whiskey sour? Just take it to go. Like, just- yeah, just take it to go. Right? Just give it to you in like a freaking doggy bag. It's like, really? And I'm like, why couldn't we do this before? And I know why we couldn't do this before. Because someone would, of course, be mad irresponsible. But by the same token, I'm like, wait, you mean I could just take this out and possibly drink this in the street while I'm walking home? It's like, what a strange but yet freeing experience. Because and yet, you know what? Do you see people, like, turning into werewolves and eating other people? No. Wait, what do you think alcohol is? <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. (laughs) And this gentleman, you have heard him on this podcast before, gosh, three times before. Um, I'm almost tempted to just say that you were pretty much, uh, I mean, do you want to be my co-host? I mean, I can always use, I can use a co-pilot. You know, I'm, I'm here for it. When you need me, just shine this signal into the clouds. Now, that's a good question. What would your signal be? Well, I have like a different crest for like every project and some projects have multiple crests. So like, I don't know if I could, you know what? The Oneshi Press crest, but that would call both Lindsay and me. Right. So it depends. If you want just me, maybe like half the crest, just like crack it in half, you know? Cover half of the spotlight with, like, a big piece of poster board or something, you know? So, like, just half of the crest is shining in the clouds, and then I'll come running. Unless you put the wrong half, then Lindsay will come running. Um, we, we're going to have to think about this. Yeah, because then at that point, then what if Lindsay or either you are like, honestly, do you want to take this one? I'm like, do we both have to go? Like, we're a whole, like, two time zones away. <laughs> <laughs> Like, can crime be afoot locally? That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you can't. It's like, Adrian, I understand there's a problem. You can't come every time there's a problem. I really want to make a foot joke, but, like, all of my foot jokes are way too pedantic. Oh. <laughs> See, this I'm sorry. is. That was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We'll, we'll do the whole crest. And like I said, you two can flip a coin as to who shows up because okay. I, I love and respect you both Aww. equally. Um, 
And you and Lindsay have been on the show before, uh, episode 94, 123, and 151. Wink, nudge, listen to those. And today I'm speaking with JL Draco, who is the co-founder of Oneshi Press, multimedia visual artist, writer, lead designer. The thing that we first spoke on was this sprawling epic, which is known as Children of Gaia. And with that, there's so many series within that. You know, there's The Great Nations of Renderaya, War on Horses. You were also on talking about Tracy Queen, which is the sex-positive superhero who's a total badass. So today, we're talking about something equally as odd as this conversation is about to be. But yet, much like your other projects, I love it all the same. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention the fact that you are also a known aspect enthusiast. Oh, yes. I actually am... uh recently joined a, a club i guess um or a group but yeah i want to make people aware of aspic and i feel like every time i bring it up i just get this look like what word is that what are you saying so it's a s p i c aspic and it is the most brutally terrific and horrifically wonderful thing that has ever happened to food. And you know what? It's like really old. It's been around since like the middle ages, but it's still like new to so many people. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so foodstuffs, be it, you know, a savory dinner or fun, you know, candy snacks, whatever, like foodstuff floating, suspended in gelatin, right? Exactly that. I don't even want to say more. I just want people to go to Google right now and start looking up pictures of Aspic. It's just wonderful. I might actually have to drop a couple of pictures uh, in the show notes. If you think about John Carpenter, uh, Clive Barker, Wes Craven, like these masters of horror could never have possibly constructed something as fascinating and terrifying as this because i mean you've seen pictures of me you've met me you clearly know that with me food is no issue like i love food it is uh it can be comforting it can be rewarding it's it's so many things and other than just something that we need to survive it's it's art in and of itself i don't know who decided at some point to take said art and look at it and go you know what this sandwich really needs to be encased in gelatin Mm-hmm. like how does it get that far like who was the first like who was the first person to say this is what we need to do you know aspect might actually be as old or older than sandwiches that's the bonkers thing um, and originally i think it was actually just something that naturally was occurring like animal broth you know like the juices from like your turkey or whatever oh no and then pieces of turkey are floating around in it, and it kind of solidifies when it's cool, right? So, oh. I mean, we're talking about before refrigerators and before microwaves. Well, yeah. and, you know what I mean? Like, so people would just be like munching on some leftovers from like last week or whatever, and like little pieces of turkey would just be floating in the turkey gelatin, and they would eat it and be like, that's really cool. I wonder if we can like replicate this, you know? So then along came the Federation uh, after first contact and replicators were like brought to, 
you know, earth by the Vulcans. And, you know, now we can make gelatin whenever we want. So you're saying it's James Cromwell's fault. Uh, okay. I mean, I was going to say Gene Roddenberry, but, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I was actually thinking of, like, the movie itself, uh, First Contact. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I think it was James Cromwell, right? Um, I can't remember who played the astronaut because they go back and are the like actor that played. Oh gosh, because um, what was I can't me. remember the character's name. I'm sure Lindsay, if she's listening to this, and I know she's a very big Star Trek fan, screaming at us. Oh, this is gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt my head because I literally was just talking about the character the other day. Like, hold on, I'm googling this. I don't even care. Please stand by. Yeah, it is James Cromwell. Yeah. Zephram Cochran, I believe. Zephram Cochran. Yes. How could I forget a name like that? And then Jordy was all like, yo, like Jordy, like with his eyes, like that just, wait, was that at first contact where Jordy's eyes like regenerated? No, no, no. That was. That was, I think it was either Nemesis or, wait, was it wasn't Generations, right? But I do remember that scene when they met Zephyrin and like Jordy is like fanning out. Like he is. Yeah, right. He is right. losing his mind. I read about you. And then like Zephyrin Cockroach is just like such a jerk. <laughs> like the whole Yeah, because he's like this drunk. Like he's just. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, whatever. Like, well, you read about me, whatever. You're making that shit up. Like you're crazy. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you have to beep that out? Uh, can I say that? I don't even know. Wait, you've cursed on the show like multiple times. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it would be really weird if this was like my fourth time on your show and you were like, I have no cursing rule. <laughs> I'm like, why do you keep having me back? Do you want me to just start beeping about now? Is your editing process? <laughs> the only reason why I don't is because I would just never stop. And as someone who grew up in the tri-state area, I'm one of those firm believers that if you don't curse, then that's when you actually have anger issues. Right. Because that just means you're repressing all of that. Right. (laughs) But why are we talking about Aspect? Well, why are we talking about Mr. Guy? One of the many things that we talk about a lot is not even just the what or the how, it's the why. And I know that tends to be a loaded question, but it's always my favorite question. After building and continually building the Children of Gaia world, Mr. Guy is perfectly in your wheelhouse, but it's also totally left of center. If I know anything about you, is that nothing is ever done by accident or a whim. So where did Mr. Guy even originate? Like, before he started wrestling chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Before he started wrestling chickens, right. So, like, one, I was a young lad back in the 1900s, before warp cores were ever dreamt of, other than in sci-fi. You know, I loved fantasy, and I loved horror. I always liked horror as a little kid, you know, like, growing up, watching, like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, like, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, all of, like, the, you know mutant hellbound zombie flesh eaters you know like that kind of stuff right i always loved that and i always loved fantasy and you know i think i was actually already working with chris cavelli on the stories that would eventually become the backbone for children of gaia and i was playing with goblins what goblins could be like and playing with also like ideas about zombies and it just kind of was like you know what 
how cool would it be if there was like zombies in a fantasy world? Then I was like, well, okay, like, but it could still also be like modern because it would be pretty cool if this guy like, you know, could like use modern tools. And I don't, I don't really know. It was just when you're a kid and you're writing, it's like, this is something that I always try to go back to when I'm writing now as an adult is when I was a kid, it was just about spilling out the toy box and taking all of my favorite things and putting them together. So like for me, writing is figuring out how my favorite things fit together. Uh, That's my favorite part about writing. You know, some people take the opposite approach and try to like, you know, distill things down to like the core genre. And, you know, for me, I'm like, why should I be confined to genres? I can do a fantasy horror comedy. I can have a goblin who is in a zombie apocalypse and is cursed and haunted and running for his life, but also parodies everything you know i want to parody every kind of like awesome sci-fi fantasy horror movie that i grew up with and loved and i want them to just all be in this sandbox that i dumped my toy box out into and i'm just playing with it and i'm inviting the audience to come and play with it with me you know um That said, it might be a good idea for me to explain what the hell I'm talking about. So Mr. Guy is a half-goblin. I don't know if he's like half-goblin, half-elf, maybe? Or half-goblin, half-human? I don't think that that's very clear. That doesn't really matter. The point is, he's green, you know? And it's not easy being green. Never. It's not easy being green. (laughs) I'm never going to do that again, sorry. So... He is doing odd jobs. This is his origin story, right? He's doing odd jobs. He gets hired to uh, protect someone's cattle from vermin overnight. And he gets bitten and infected and he's cursed now. But he also has a specter named Spooky that has inhabited his infected arm and is living in it. And this ghost living in his undead arm prevents the the zombieism from spreading it's not taking over his whole body right so how this happens i mean that's like what this means how this happens that's the whole plot is he's constantly trying to figure out what this curse is what the zombie apocalypse is how he can stop it so he's trying to figure out how to stop the apocalypse but not because he gives a damn about all of us it's because He wants to be rid of this freaking sidekick that won't shut up, you know, and Spooky doesn't (laughs) want to be in his arm any more than he wants Spooky in his arm. Like they want to be free of each other. So basically the whole plot is they are going from trope to trope, dissecting the genre, going to like different various classic reasons that the zombie apocalypse happens. I mean, from like laboratories up to no good, you know, like aliens, is it biblical? Is it, you know, GMOs? Like, is it (laughs) Eldridge horror? He doesn't know. And he has to find out. He has to find out if he's going to free himself. And that's like really what the plot is about. So each chapter, he's dissecting this different genre trope. And each chapter, it's like, is this the thing? Is this how we're going to stop it? Save everyone so I can finally save myself? And so what I decided to do with that after having done, you know, all of these like anthologies that we've been doing, we're up to anthology number 10. Which is wild, by the way. Yeah, right. Thank you. Um, Independent comics anthology 
It's a collection of eight-page shorts. They are now 120 pages long, and they're a collection of eight-page shorts and guest art and things like that. And it's just people submitting you know, their short comics from all over the world. And like I said, we're up to the 10th one, so it's amazing. And I'm really loving the format. And so I decided to make Mr. Guy, which I wrote, you know, and I wrote it to be 12 eight-page arcs. And I decided that each arc is a different genre exploration and deconstruction. It's a different subgenre, at least, like a different trope, you know? Right. And I wanted each one to be done by a different professional illustrator, a different artist in the field. Kind of like a draw this in your own style. That's really cool. Each chapter is drawn by a different artist, and it's their take on what Mr. Guy looks like and their take on the world. And it's like a buffet. Like you just get a little bit of everything stylistically. And, you know, I will say I've curated it to the best of my ability. I've picked people that I really think will do it well. And I've tried to really think about who is right for which arc. And, you know, some of the arcs I even wrote with specific artists in mind. And I included like humor that I know they're into and references to things that I know they're part of the fandom of. You know what I mean? So like, (laughs) I'm really trying to get people's goad in having that inspiration, that extra next level. Like you can tell when an artist is phoning it in and when they're really in love with what they're doing. So I'm really trying to make sure that each person is in love with what they're doing for each arc. And I think you've done a really good job of that. Um, Matter of fact, probably should run down some of those names, which I kind of feel like you're this low-key Mr. Phillips type. And it's like, okay, this is Mission Impossible. Who's my team? (laughs) Okay. So for Act 1, which is the first four arcs, Zana did the cover. I did the first arc. And then following up behind me, we have Walter Osley, who did the second arc. Amazing. Many of you know Walter Osley is the rocket surgeon behind Shiver Bureau and mm-hmm. Hacksaw and Metal Shark Bro. Yeah, Metal Shark Bro is a great book, and Walter and shout out to Kevin Cuff, a uh, friend of the show who's been on a couple of times. Everybody on that book, not even just the two of them, killed it, loved it, and definitely worth your time. What a great team, right? So amazing. Like, what the absolute hell? Is that like a World War II, like, fighter? I, I don't know. Is the Red Baron just like... I... That really sounded like a little, like... Anyway, just an amazing duo. That book is amazing. I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, it's just great. Yeah. So from there, we transition to Diana Camaro, who is doing Arc 3. She has done uh, Guts, which was written by Lindsay G, and that's just wonderful. And when I saw that finished work, I was like, there was that little twinkle in my eye, you know, and I was just like, aha. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I thought it was just great work. And I think it was actually Lindsay who was first like, you should have Diana do one of the, the Mr. Guy arcs. And I was like, heck yeah. So <laughs> Diana's working on arc, arc three. It's just about done. And her work is just amazing. And then from there, the final arc of Act One is done by JC Chase, you know, big friend of the community, of the channel, you know, like is 
staple in in the Twitch community and Discord, and it's just a fantastic artist, fantastic person. I'm sure many of you know JC Chase's uh, YouTube channel. They put out some really good stuff, and it's cool art, a lot of food for thought, and I learned a lot. And also, hashtag thanks, JC. <laughs> nice. Thanks, JC. I think now would be a great... Okay, that's a weird inside joke. We don't need to expose everyone to that, but <laughs> those of you who get it, get it. <laughs> I love this team, and I love the story, and it's batshit insane. Zombies are decidedly a little bit different, but when you were first working on this on one of your streams on Twitch, mm. it wasn't even just Mr. Guy. It was it was this very simple scene. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember the panel now. It was actually the wrestling poster. <laughs> nice. All I know is, it's like, okay, here's this guy who, pre-zombie, is wrestling chickens, wearing the socks. <laughs> And those of you who are familiar with the World of Industry Press, you've seen these socks, and they are legendary in and of themselves. And it's like, I don't know what this is. What is this? Just give it to me. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think a lot of the humor is designed to be that way. It's like, what is this? I need to know. You want it to be contextualized. But really, the truth is, the context is itself. Its own, like mimetic nature creates its own context where like it doesn't really have more of a meaning than that it's me building an inside joke with you with my audience you know as you're reading this i'm constructing this like long-term inside joke with callbacks and like self-referential humor and like really the idea is like life is hard we need to laugh i want to help you just have some fun while I'm also delivering, you know, a narrative that has some deconstructions of movies and and stories and books that were designed to be social commentary, right. you know, like Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead and even Resident Evil and like 28 Days Later and World War Z. These are all social commentaries in the world that we live in. You know, like there's a lot to comment on and I want to deconstruct those and kind of poke fun at them a little bit here and there, but like the way you do with a friend, you know, to make them laugh, but not to hurt their feelings. Like I'm not being mean about the genre. I love the genre, you know, but I do like poke fun at it here and there, but mostly it's like, Hey, let's deconstruct this and extract some of the ideas while also laughing about it and having fun and just having a little bit of reprieve from the heaviness of it all. And we've discussed this before, irreverent humor and how it's important but also being mindful of the fact that you can be irreverent you can play loose of comedy but not in the means of punching down or being hurtful like right. like you said you're sending up all these genres and these pop culture references but it's not done sneering at it you're not even like necessarily spitting at it it's showing an appreciation but in an indirect way because mm -hmm. i think you know in what i've read of this guy you're not doing this out of some sort of like disdain it's actually all for the love of it yeah i just want to make that important distinction because sometimes i think the world of parody and i don't know if maybe this came from 
Because I, I know, like, for a time, you know, there were things like Airplane or Naked Gun, like that very slapstick sort of like Zucker Brothers type humor. Or like Old Rooks, right? Yeah, where sometimes it would just be sight gags, but they were really smartly done. But then somewhere along the lines, it's like we almost took the worst lessons from Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. Where, yes, <laughs> yes, I, one of the through lines of that is there's no way you can make that movie now and have it play to a cineplex it just wouldn't it wouldn't happen and you can argue whether or not some of the jokes are okay are they you know is this something that's even okay to laugh at but i'm more talking about that sort of that discomfort like really drawing attention to something at a humorous aspect that's not necessarily funny but then i think sometimes with some time removed we've looked at that level of humor and we just saw the meanness of it for lack of a better term like just to kind of the shock value but you know i feel like once we kind of got towards like you know the scary movies and then like the parody movies that came after that there's not even a narrative thread anymore we're now we're just poking fun at like oh Hmm. the girl who did the leave britney alone videos or like this viral video where it's just look at all these people being stupid but there's no context to it there's no bite it's just look at this thing that i find stupid laugh at it with me like there's no point there's no substance to it and i find that this is refreshing because it's funny but yeah i don't have to necessarily worry that someone's feelings are getting hurt i mean mm. unless you happen to be a zombie but even then yeah. like even the zombies are sent up in, uh, in a pretty respectful way i mean you know there might be some people whose feelings get hurt But, like, I'm pointing out hypocrisies in not so much in Act 1. Act 1 is kind of like the soft opening. It's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of adventure, but it's also the introduction, right? Right. Act 2 goes right to hell, and literally. (laughs) I mean, it goes right to hell. So, like, in hell, that's a perfect opportunity for social commentary and for me to point out, like, just a lot of hypocrisies in the way people think about things. I mean, I kind of really deconstruct um, Dante's Inferno and like, there's a lot to deconstruct there. And I took, you know, I took a course specifically just in that one book, which is wild. Cause that book is enough. You can teach a whole damn class on it. <laughs> it's dense enough for sure. Um, but it's also like dense enough that you can make fun of it endlessly. If you, <laughs> understand it well enough and understand what each thing is referencing what each scene is talking about there's a lot of shitty things in there you know like like ableism and racism and sexism and sex negativity and just hypocrisy and you know like political biases and all that stuff it's all in there it's like damn i know it's hell but can't you be at least a little bit more progressive (laughs) (laughs) so and there we go like mr guy gets an opportunity to like really just witness all that and kind of comment on it like damn what the (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) you know and a lot of it breaks down in very unexpected like funny ways that are not really that heavy i think you'd have to be an extremist to be upset by it i'm not trying to hurt anyone i'm not punching down i'm not against anyone you know what i mean but like There are some people that maybe are a bit extreme and and have no sense of like, yes, we can joke about this thing that I also take seriously. If you can't joke about it, maybe maybe it's a bit fragile. Right, but that's not like the approach you're going into it in. You're not intentionally being like, I'm going to 
stick it to you just for the sake of just doing that because I'm a I'm a loner, daddy, I'm a rebel. You know, as you right. flick your cigarette in somebody's face, you know, with the leather jacket popped up. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not my style. I am not punching down at all. You know, I punch up sometimes. I will punch at something that is oppressive and shitty and mean and imperial and you know what i mean like i will punch up but i'm not gonna punch down i'm not gonna tease someone for being in a bad situation i'm not gonna you know like kick someone who's down i'm just not gonna do that yeah because like if you take offense to that like oh i'm sorry like how dare you you know not defend fascism (laughs) like the nerve of you jail you're hurting my racist feelings you know what i mean (laughs) what So, and that's the thing, actually, Lindsay and I were talking about that. I think last night, even Um, Mel Brooks, right? It's like, we were talking about like, well, whether or not his movies would hold up. And I don't know, I haven't seen one of them in like 10 or 15 years. But you know, there was quite a few that I loved as a kid. Again, we haven't gone back and revisited them. So I don't want to say anything that might be like damning. But I think we came to the idea that the differences, he's making fun of racists. He's making fun of homophobes. He's making fun of misogynists. He's not making racist humor or homophobic humor or misogynist humor. He's making humor that makes fun of people who are like that. But then people took that to be like, oh, see, it's okay to make racist, sexist, homophobic jokes. And it's like, no, that's the wrong lesson. Like, he's not laughing with you. He's laughing at you for being that way. Don't be that way. You know, at least that was like our takeaway. And you know, that might be through rose-colored goggles of nostalgia. I hope it isn't, though. I would like to go back and watch some of those movies and be like, yes, I was totally right about that. I think it's a little bit of also understanding that certain things are very much a product of their time. Yeah. Because I know, and I don't know if this is maybe the right take, because I know we have a tendency, and I know I have a tendency, to kind of view things of the past from a modern lens. And I am not excusing some of the stuff. But some things were just acceptable. But I think you made a good point is understanding the nuance of when someone's making a joke, like a lot of them in a movie, like let's say that was a lot of Mel Brooks stuff where you're right, at least most of it, I'm not going to say all of it, because I'm sure, okay, some of it might just be taking a jab for the shock value, but you're making fun of the people who are making fun. But that also requires a lot of critical thinking, a lot of introspection, also just not being a total dumbass right. <laughs> to understand that as time went on, we've seen these type of movies and stories and this type of humor and constantly just learning the wrong lessons from it. And there have been comedians over the years who have used abrasive tactics to sort of get a rise but the idea is to get a rise to make you think about it not necessarily just being like huh look how fitted you are i'm just being edgy it's like no you're just being an asshole actually (laughs) yeah because like and i I think we had said this the other day like the other day it's like what is the life expectancy of that right you can get away with that but so far until either people become numb to it or the fact that then it almost becomes parody in and of itself that's why I appreciate this book. And also, something else you do very well. I always enjoyed the sidekicks in your stories. Mm. Like, I want a spooky mug. I want <laughs> a t-shirt. Yeah, me too. All I right, want a spooky awesome. vinyl figure to sit on my desk. And But it's like, yes. okay, do I want, like, the smiley spooky? Or do I want, like, spooky where it's like, okay, this spooky is Badass. legit about to, like, 
tear somebody up because <laughs> I've seen some like spooky drawn of some styles where I'm like, okay, this is metal as all hell. Like this is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Spooky definitely can like grow spikes out of his head and be like an angry hell skull. Or he can be like the cute sidekick, you know, and he can shift very quickly. Because what's Spooky's motivation in all this? So Spooky doesn't know. He is basically created when Mr. Guy is infected, as far as he knows. Like he, he's fresh. He doesn't know why he has no memory or, or who he is or what he is. But he also has expository dialogue is like his first language. So <laughs> he can know anything that the plot requires him to know. Right. And that's also a jab at like a lot of, you know, like these movies that we're parodying and, you know, stories and books that we're parodying is like the convenience of a sidekick character just being able to know something randomly because the plot demands that they're able to know it. But Mr. Guy and Spooky are kind of somewhat aware of that. So he actually has like a handbook called the Cursed Zombie Sidekick Handbook. Um <laughs> uh, and it just has like ridiculously spot on, you know, information that's like completely like plot appropriate. And, you know, they don't even question where that comes from. He's just like, well, this is my handbook. And he's like, you know, like it's just like that kind of self-aware, again, like genre deconstruction. It's very meta. It breaks the fourth wall. It's very self-referential. A lot of it is like that deadpan, ipso facto, like, well, this is here because we said so, because that's <laughs> what people do in this genre, I guess. You know, like, and I think Spooky is painfully, you know, representational of that, but also like they're kind of aware of it and it's kind of annoying. And like, I think Mr. Guy is really annoyed by it and Spooky kind of gets a little bit of like a, complex about it at one point but like that's later i don't want to not too many spoilers but like it's it's a lot of fun to play with that <laughs> yeah because that is tough because like what do you do with a character that knows everything <laughs> he can only know what progresses the plot without breaking it <laughs> so like he doesn't have spoilers he only knows what will bring him to the next arc or like to the next place the next location you know you know, Mr. Gaia is like my reprieve from really serious works like Children of Gaia. Children of Gaia is like hardcore world building. It's high fantasy. It's extremely serious. There's a couple of like characters that are funny sometimes because they're funny. That's how they cope with life. That's their personality. But it is not a comedy. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing about Children of Gaia that is intended to be funny. You know, Tracy Queen is funny. But it's also, A, that's Lindsay's writing. So that's her, you know, outlet. And she's also funny in, like, a more gonzo way. Like, it's funny that things are so over the top in her story. And Pack is also, like, really serious. It deals with a lot of really serious issues. You know, everything in Pack is, like, very gritty and very dark and very, like, serious, you know? Mr. Guy is my opportunity to have that blooper reel and turn it into a story you know it's like all like the silly things that i think or that i say about all these other stories that don't make the cut because they're too silly i'm like you know what i'm gonna like take every fucking joke every inside joke and slam it together and just build this cacophony of gags but also carefully construct a narrative through line that ties it all together 
so that when you're reading it, it doesn't just seem like a schlock of gags. It's actually a narrative. It has a story. It pulls you forward. It's a page turner, but it's a page turner that's made of schlocks of gags. So it kind of gets to do both. And that for me, that's my freedom. You know, that's my fun like release. And I think um, so far, anyone that I've shown it to, shown progress to, works in progress of, the scripts, the artists who have worked on it, have all just had tremendously positive feedback. You know, like just really great reviews so far. I'm really excited about it. I, th- I really hope that everyone who picks this up is going to have as much fun with it as I did. Freedom. That's it. It is the freedom to allow yourself as you, the creator, to say, I'm going to make the story. And as strange and as bizarre as it may be, this is just a story I want to tell. And of course, I want people to think and you want people to, you know, be critical when it comes to the the art they engage in. But there's less of an expectation on what it is you're doing. Like, you're just enjoying the process. You're enjoying the work. And I almost envy that in a way. You know, there's just, there's something beautiful about that. But it's also scary. I mean, I was asked in a DM earlier today, some very, like, specifically spoilerific questions. And, you know, I had to be like, hey, if I knew that, where would the fun be? You know, like some of this project is kind of like, I actually don't know how many books there's going to be. Most of my other projects, I could tell you, like I could tell you actually how many books there are in pack and the sequel, which takes place a generation later. Like I could tell you all about that. Like I have a long view and I plan things very intricately, very far in advance for several projects. You know, I have several projects that are extremely tight-knit world building that I have the next decade planned out on Right. in my work, you know, my workflow. Some of them I've been working on for two or three decades already. Mr. Guy, I've been working on since I was a kid. Uh, Children of Gaia, I've been working on since I was a kid. You know, Kung Fu Catfish, who we'll get to meet a lot in Mr. Guy, because Kung Fu Catfish is actually Mr. Guy's favorite comic book character. I've been working on since I was like eight, you know, that was my first character, you know, and that was a direct (laughs) response, I think, to um, Yosagi Ojimbo and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I was like, I want to have a character like that. And I came up with Kung Fu Catfish, but that kind of just went off the rails and became like way different from from its influences. But Kung Fu Catfish could be reading a Mr. Guy comic while in the Mr. Guy comic, Mr. Guy is reading a Kung Fu Catfish comic because Kung Fu Catfish is like even further removed from rules. Like that's even more free, you know? So we'll learn a bit more about that also in Mr. Guy, but also like Nicola and Tracy Queen is a big Kung Fu Catfish fan. We'll have some, some mentions of Kung Fu Catfish coming up as a fictional character in pack. So like, you might see someone in the background reading a Kung Fu Catfish comic book in like these other comics. Right. Cause then someone may ask, okay, is this all same universe? And the answer, you may not even necessarily have to give them. And I feel like that's not necessarily the important part. Yeah. I might actually blow your mind. Cause you know, there's the continuity nerd in me where I will watch something over and over again. Funny story prior to this pandemic, Um, When the Fast and Furious 9 was announced, 
a movie theater chain was doing a contest. Basically, it had to be like a write-up of like basically all the movies leading up to nine. Hmm. What they mean to you and... It's almost like a uh, homework assignment. Like, what does the Fast and Furious franchise mean to you? And, you know, the concept uh, therein. <laughs> yeah. And for it, you won like $400. And I'm like, man, that'd be really hard to do. Except for the fact that I went into my computer and opened up my documents and realized I had about 20 pages. Already written. <laughs> already written on like the first movie and a half alone. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I'm like, damn me. Damn me, damn me! Like, who am I, Adrian? <laughs> what? Who does this? And this was like, and this wasn't even like one of those things. Like, I took out a whole chunk of time to do. It was just one day. I had a thought. Just for fun, right? <laughs> My fingers just hit the keyboard, and when I was done, I looked up and I'm like, "What? What is this?" It was because I had watched this stuff over and over again, and just was peeling away layers. And I, I'm sure I put more thought into this than I think even the writers did. there's something about engaging in certain art and experiencing it, which is why things are great in repeated viewings and readings and even listens because you find all these things, which is why I didn't want to talk too much about certain things within Mr. Guy, because I feel like when people read this and I started noticing things, but a lot of those things that you notice is because, well, I've talked to you multiple times on a podcast I've talked to you, you know, in person. I've been on your streams. So when certain things started popping up, I'm like, I get this now. I understand where this is coming from. And I know there are some people who are not going to have that. Well, I mean, people should be going to the streams anyway because they're fun. But (laughs) someone may come at this cold without having all that knowledge. But yet, if they keep reading in the course of they repack and they read Tracy Queen and Children of Gaia, they'll see these things. The idea of just even mentioning Schwiski, I'm like, I remember Schwiski. <laughs> I've seen this before. So, you know, you start putting the threads together, even if they don't necessarily have to be bound together in this tight knit, like timeline per se. It's basically handing someone an onion and it's like, here you go, peel away the layers and try not to cry in the process. <laughs> well, you know, and my hope is that anyone can pick this up and look at it and and find themselves getting sucked in and wanting to see more. I mean, we're, you know, these are connected worlds. There are connected humor in all of them. They do coexist. They're maybe all in the same universe, but maybe not all in the same dimension. Again, there are ways of describing that that I think could get very heady. Like, I talk about it in terms of higher dimensions and lower dimensions. Like, So wait, are you going to not talk about that? Because now I'm disappointed. Oh, well, the middle ground of the Oneshi-verse, right? The mid-tone is Tracy Queen and Pack, and even a few other stories all exist in the Oneshi-verse. Oh, we have a... A submission of an idea for a story that takes place in the Oneshi-verse from Sophia Murphy, who uh, many of you might know as Dark Metropolis. Oh, what up, Dark Metropolis? And Dark Metropolis is also doing a lot of guest art and promotional art for Mr. Guy, and is doing the cover of the 10th Anthology, which Mr. Guy actually interacts with quite a bit. So that's a great example of what I was about to talk about, the dimensions. Mr. Guy can exist inside an Oneshi Press anthology as an eight-pager. Mm-hmm. But 
he could also be reading that anthology. And in that anthology, Tracy Queen could walk in on Nicola reading a Mr. Guy comic. And in that Mr. Guy comic, he could be reading, Mr. Guy could be reading a Kung Fu Catfish comic. Holy shit. And Kung Fu Catfish could be the one holding the image where he's looking at Mr. Guy reading the anthology. So there's an order to the dimensions here. Right, and I've seen some of this in action, but I don't want to point it out because I feel like that might be a mild spoiler for one of your other projects. It comes up. We have actually um, a little two-pager that I did called Metastrip. Tracy Queen kicks open the door. Nicola is, like, reading a comic, and she's all drunk. She's got wine in her hand. Wine is spilling out of the glass while she's like, what you reading, nerd? You know, and he's like, oh, God, you're horrible. You're spilling wine on my comic. And she's like, what? What is that? You know, he's like, it's Mr. Guy. It's a really funny comic about a, you know, this guy is trying to stop the zombie apocalypse. And she looks at it. And in the comic that Nicola is reading, Mr. Guy is reading a Kung Fu Catfish comic. And she's like, what? Is he reading a comic in the comic? How does that even work? That's so dumb. Meanwhile, she's talking to Nicola, who's reading a comic of Mr. Guy, who's reading a comic of Kung Fu Catfish, right? She's making fun of it. and He's like, what, do you have a better idea for a comic? And she's like, yeah, how about, how about that guy that runs around with that pack of dogs? I would make a great comic. And Nicola's like, yeah, but that's real. No one wants to read about that. <laughs> and then, you know, the last panel, we pull out, and it's Kung Fu Catfish reading this comic of Tracy Queen interacting with Nicola about Mr. Guy, who's reading a comic about Kung Fu Catfish. I'm about to pipe in the Inception sound, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, so it's it's really, it's about um, my understanding of a simplified model of hawking radiation and, like, dimensionality. We talk about, like... Um, as fourth-dimensional beings, we could describe a three-dimensional object. Right. A three-dimensional being could only describe a two-dimensional object. A two-dimensional being could only describe a one-dimensional object. And a one-dimensional being is everything and can describe everything up to, like, infinite dimensions, right? So, like, the shift of going from third dimension to fifth dimension and what that really means, like, that's, like, a really common, like, thing that people in, like, the New Agey front are talking about. And, you know, so I've thought about that and I've looked at like mathematical models for like dimensions and dimensional understanding and like the reason why we as fourth dimensional beings can't understand or comprehend what the fifth dimension or higher really is. But in dreams we can, because in dreams we're not confined by a fourth dimensional body, so we can understand the fifth dimension. So like now I'm getting into psychology, I'm getting into philosophy, and I'm getting into mathematics. And the overlap there is ridiculous. It's really silly. You know, it's very fun. It's really silly. It's quite pointless, but it's totally engaging. You know, it's kind of like a Rubik's cube with googly eyes on it. You know, <laughs> it's like, it takes all of your brain to understand it. And it's ridiculous, but to like put that into narrative use there is very much an, an order of operations to the way that these various dimensions of storytelling can interact with one another. No one from Children of Gaia could ever see or understand or experience 
Tracy Queen or Pack or Mr. Guy or Kung Fu Catfish. But any of them could pick up a Children of Gaia book and be a fan of it. Any of them could be like, oh, yeah, I really love that Children of Gaia story. But no one in a Children of Gaia story could could ever find one of their books on a bookshelf, if that makes sense, right? It's kind of like one one directional. But the big break is that Kung Fu Catfish can do anything. Right. And that's where things really start to get interesting, because if I understand correctly, that's the one dimension. That's the thing that can explain everything. Exactly. And I mean, he was the first character I ever really came up with. He was my original, original character. He's my OGOC, you know, because of that, the rules when I came up with him were ridiculous. I was a kid. I didn't know what rules were. So those are his rules now. And I'm honoring that. I'm honoring the fact that this ridiculous character that I came up with when I was a kid had ridiculous world building and ridiculous rules. And I think that that's wonderful. Instead of being like, oh, that's horrible. It's schlock. It's childish. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to replace it. I'm going to upgrade it. You know, you know, I've had people like be like, hey, can you teach my kid how to draw? And like they walk back in the room five minutes later and I'm drawing their characters at like stick figures. And they're like, no. The op- that's the opposite. And I'm like, no, I don't it? understand. <laughs> like I am meeting this child who's developing their art. I'm meeting them where they are. Right. And right. we're going to engage in freedom because that's the most important part. Later on, if they want to, they can experiment with technique. They can fuck around with lighting and form and figure and shadow and anatomy and perspective and all that other shit if they want. But if they want to just keep making zany stick figures, like that's awesome. You know, like they're making something, some they're, they're creating a universe. Who the heck can shake a stick at that? You know, a lot of people, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's really- When I grew up, music was always like my first language and then comics kind of like my second. I just know that whatever it was, I wanted to be in this. I wanted to do this. So, you know, there was a time where my father would buy me, like, these books on how to draw. Keep in mind, these are, like, in these scholastic, um, you know, like, those order forms they used to send home, being like, have your parents buy you this stuff. <laughs> so, it's like, how to draw. So, I'm like, okay, I got my parents to buy me one. But this artwork was done, like, I'm not going to be drawing the Phantom for a Sunday comic strip. And it was like really detailed and it basically was like, you know how like we joke with like YouTube tutorials, how it goes from like, okay, how to draw like Godzilla and it's like one line and then like the next shot is it fully formed and like fully finished. But it was really like that. And it was like, one, I don't think this would be my style if I wanted to. And also this is like, you skipped a few steps here. I'm only seven years old. (laughs) I'm this many. Help. And that didn't mean that I was somehow lacking in intelligence or skill, but yet, like you said, it wasn't at my level yet. So I think in a lot of ways, I just stopped. And then I then eventually started drawing like my own figures and I could actually still draw these for you. And they're kind of embarrassing because I think multiple times I've teased showing this art like publicly. Um, my sister used to lovingly refer to them as roly-poly people Aww. because the characters were misshapen ovals. This sounds great. And now keep in mind, I'm also a child in the 90s. So what do my comics look like? A lot of shoulder pads. <laughs> um, everything was slightly edgier than it needed to be because it's like, here's a kid who grew up reading X-Men and X-Force. And, but at the same time, I also loved Underdog. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so what did Underdog do? Now he's in the 90s. Now he's got shoulder pads. <laughs> he's got a laser rifle. And he's in a car chase. And things are exploding. And, and yet, these cartoons that I drew were not something that one would consider to be, like, good art. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, I, I listen to a lot of bad advice because, like, this isn't really how to draw. And I, I remember the clear moment where I realized I couldn't necessarily do this was, it was eighth grade. We were about to graduate, so our last artwork assignment was draw yourself in this cap and gown. Hmm. Within two drawings, like, I almost don't remember where my head was at. I must have, like, I almost blacked out. When I came to, I essentially drew Link (laughs) in a cap and gown. (laughs) Blonde hair, pointy ears, the earring with this mark on his face. Yep. I love it. And I got the biggest F. No! Stop. You're hurting me. (laughs) And What is wrong with people? But this was the funniest part. The custom was the artwork had to be put outside of the classroom door. So as you walk past, you know, the eighth grade door, then going down the hall, you see like this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid. Highly in character. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, dang, they really failed me for this. But then I remember kids would walk past and be like, who's this one? That one looks cool. Yeah, that's the freedom, right? That's what I'm talking about. I didn't realize that. Well, maybe I did realize that there was... No real set rules. They just said, draw yourself. But I'm like, well, maybe I see myself as the hero of time. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, there are people who will be like, oh, well, you have to learn the rules before you break them. And I'm like, you know what? I know how to oil paint. I'm classically trained in it. I know how to paint in acrylics. I know how to watercolor. Like, I can paint in tempera. I can paint with gouache. I can paint digitally. I can, you know what I mean? Like I'm an illustrator. I've been trained. I've been a professional illustrator for 20 years now. Like I will still get down on the floor with some fucking kids and draw some amazing stick figures with weird superpowers with crayon. Art doesn't have to be a competition between people who are vying to get jobs for the big two. It doesn't have to be competition. You know, I think actually you and I were talking about that yesterday, the three C's, right? The three horrible C's. There's what? Competition, conditioning, and C slugs. C slugs. (laughs) So I actually was thinking about this today and I came up with the opposite three C's, right? So like the antidote to competition, conditioning, and C slugs my answer, my antidote would be collaboration, community, and sea salt. Okay, wait, that's really dark. I don't want to have anyone walking away thinking that I condone salting slugs. I don't. It's horrible. (laughs) It's inhumane. I would never in a million years, I would actually probably fight someone if I saw them salting slugs. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was just thinking about the things that I would put sea salt on because, well, again, everything's food with me. So, Ooh, like a nice little sea salt in your aspect? Oh, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I broke your teeth. I don't know if that was like, I, were there sounds okay, of but, enjoyment? Or were like, mm, no, that was the, <laughs> like, I want to point out to everybody listening. 
this man, while brilliant and a very good friend of mine, is sadistic because the smile on your face as your Twitch chat in horror, the messages in all caps of Jason and I are both just saying, JL, no. Oh, yeah, everyone got in on that. No, no, jail, no, stop. Why? Because <laughs> it, just, it just kept going deeper and deeper. Like, again, it always comes back to the spaghetti aspect with the, the Vienna sausage on top. Oh, my gosh, the Vienna sausages. What genius thought of putting gelatin in SpaghettiOs and then putting it in a Bundt cake mold to make SpaghettiO aspic and then filling the center of the SpaghettiO aspect with Vienna sausages, boiled Vienna sausages, not even like pan fried, browned on no. the outside, like straight up just boiled Vienna sausages, dumped. I didn't even think they were boiled. I think they just took them right out of the can. Uh, well, whatever they did, it was perfection. I mean, that was like, I couldn't craft something so wonderfully horrific if my life depended on it. You're not even playing God. Like you're just like this is, this is too far. Man is not meant to have this level of power. And so, if they have, <laughs> we should just remind everyone if they haven't already to just Google aspic, Google um, spaghettio aspic, Google sandwich aspic, Google fancy aspic, like a s p i c just do yourself the favor or bing whatever you know if you're not into google who uses bing come on man don't don't call me out like this <laughs> i mean okay is it like default or is it, let me stop <laughs> i don't want to tell you how many bing points i have for searching on bing <laughs> that's amazing yeah you know what okay i, I take that back again not punching down i am not here to judge <laughs> but like <laughs> In a weird way, I think maybe that's what Aspic is low-key fascinating to me, is the fact that there's no rules to this. Someone could just decide, let's make this, let's put a sandwich in here, let's put Vienna sausages on the SpaghettiOs, let's not even put it on top of the Aspic, let's put it in the Aspic. Like, it's whatever the hell you want it to be. So, I actually was looking at a post that someone made about an Aspic that they made, in a group that I'm a, a member of on Facebook. And let me just tell you, dude, like seriously, I'm going to, I'm going to read this. It's coconut rice with flank steak, fresh ginger, snow peas, green onions above a ginger soy mousse. And it's all encased within a sake gelatin. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a, it's a full, like, meal and you know it's like very like east asian cuisine very like clean looking fresh crisp ingredients and it's an aspic it's all floating in clear gelatin and the gelatin is made with sake like what when someone's given power what do you do with that power you can either use it to create or destroy now mm -hmm. the spaghettio with vienna sausage that's all you got cool not judging but that right there, that sounds like I, I might actually eat that. Another one that I saw that was really beautiful was someone had taken a whole bunch of like molds of little, just adorable little succulents, you know, like little succulent plants and molded like little flower pots and then took like, I believe, brownie and crumbled it up 
So they took these little flower pot molds and filled it with terracotta colored aspic and then filled it with brownie crumbles like soil and then took the molds of the succulent plants and filled them with green aspic and put them in the flower pot. So it looks like a little succulent plant in a flower pot with dirt in it and everything, but you eat the whole thing. You just walk up and eat it. And if you were to slap it, it would flubulate. That's that's art. It's really, it really is art, but it can also just be clear gelatin in a bunt cake mold filled with Vienna sausages. And it could be, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, despite like my own reaction to it per se. So this whole time I'm thinking of it as just basically like someone screwing with food. You're really thinking about it almost as like works of art in and of themselves. Well, yes, but they can also be evil works of art. Here's this power. It's an amazing power. You can use it for good, or you can use it for evil, or you can use it to be completely neutral. You can just make like adequate nutritional substance with it, you know? But it's just power. The raw power of Aspic is really what I'm getting at. See, and that's why I appreciate talking to you. Because what originally just looked was like, oh my gosh, look at this thing. What is going on? Now I'm here thinking about it and actually now going back and being like, Am I appreciating this enough? Am I appreciating this right? Am I being too harsh? Someone made this, and maybe that person is playing with fire. Maybe someone who made the sake one with the flank steak is legit making art here. It's whatever the hell it's meant to be. So, really, it's like someone doing a triple backflip, landing in a pirouette, and giving you a wet willy. It's all there, you know? And, like, there's many levels that you can hate about it or enjoy about it, but... All that is to say that that's, you know, that's an important part of the humor here. And I think that, you know, if you look at Mr. Guy, you know, the first thing you probably notice is his tie. What the fuck? Right. And then like, like (laughs) as we go further, his socks and it's like, ah, you know, and then like his weird habits, like he loves Schwinkies and all of these things are like weird and they're easy to punch down at. I like the tie too, personally, and I'm glad that you like it. But like, there are things that, you know, you could punch down at, but really it, those are the things that make him unique and his enjoyment of them are his freedom. There's something beautiful in that. There's something, I think there's something powerful in that. And that's that freedom that you, as a kid, when you're making this was, you didn't care what necessarily someone else thought about it. You just made this thing because it was fulfilling to you. I mean, the first time I drew that tie, was back in the early 1990s. I was like, whatever, I don't know what a tie is. Ties are dumb. I'm just going to draw a tie. You know, like I had no (laughs) sense of like, and it's like the most ostentatious thing. It's like yellow and purple striped, like silk, shiny, freaking big tie. Like It's like, why? But like, I want one. And if I had one, I would wear that. If I was ever going to wear a tie, it would have to be that tie. I might even wear it at an occasion where it wouldn't be completely appropriate. And people might look at it and be like a little scandalized, but like the jokes on them, you know, when I say like the jokes on them, it's like, that could sound like a big middle finger. I didn't mean it that way. I just mean like, you know, the jokes on them for not having freedom to be expressive and not having freedom to like be weird, you know, feeling afraid of being weird. Guess what? We're all weird. We're all born weird. Every single one of us is weird. And the more you try not to be weird, the more you get rid of yourself. 
the more you cut pieces of who you are off. And that's terrible. It's a sad joke when you think that you're laughing at someone else for being weird. Because the sad truth there is you're losing yourself. You know, the person who's being weird, they're being themselves. Looking at yourself and being yourself are two of some of the most difficult things that we as people can do, especially in the world that constantly tells you be unique, but not like that. You know, stand up for yourself, but not the way you're doing it. And that's constantly it is we're told all these things, but there's always the comma and then but. Be yourself to the best of your ability and obviously don't be yourself. If, if yourself means you're going to be a terrible person, rethink that shit. <laughs> but like to look at yourself, the good, bad, all of that, it's a lot and it's scary. It's like Luke Skywalker going into the cave and Dagobah scary. <laughs> And no judgment necessarily, because everybody comes to it at their own speed and their own pace. It's hard to do that. And I think sometimes what happens is that's too much work. That's going to require facing a lot of truths, both ugly and beautiful. So therefore, I'm going to turn it elsewhere. And that's, what I think, what gets a lot of us in trouble. And I'm not going to lie, it gets me in trouble. Hmm. Hell, I was looking at Aspect, and the first thing I'm thinking is, this is terrible, who's doing this, what monstrosity is this? And at one point, of course, I'm doing it jokingly, but it is almost like this revulsion. I'm just like, well, you kind of set this up in a way that's almost beautiful and like what it means to you. And I'm like, shoot, I'm looking at this thing thinking it's, you know, this, this horrible freaking mess when someone got so much more out of it. Hmm. And it's like, well, now I kind of feel terrible because... And now I could easily just say, like, you know what? It's odd. Not my thing. It's for somebody. But I don't necessarily have to judge because you're into it. You know, I think really for me, it doesn't even matter if I'm into it or not. It's not the point. The point is just the power of turning things around, of looking at things differently. The power of having the freedom to play with our preconceptions, you know? I don't really care if anyone actually is into Aspic or not. I'm not necessarily into Aspic. I just think it's such a wonderful tool. Because it's representative of so many other things. Yeah. To be able to show you and be like, look at how horrible this is and watch you be freaked out and then explain to you how there's so much like fun behind it and how wonderful it can be. And to see it turn around, it feels to me, like it's a meditation on transformative power of mundane objects. I mean, we can really transform our minds by transforming the way we view silly things, gross things, weird things, funny things, things that someone else likes that you can't understand why they're into. You know, sometimes that's where the most power that you can have over yourself lies, is the ability to look at something differently. Thank you. No, thank you. This has been a wild journey and huh. without, you know, going into too much detail, but it's been a very interesting couple of days for a lot of reasons that I don't even necessarily feel equipped to articulate. But I think this is why I'm glad to be able to do this and glad why I'm able to speak to you because allowing ourselves to even think about what it is we're doing and trying to put something good in the world, but also something that's meaningful. I just want to see what other people got out of it. And I think that's going to be something really cool is to see the reactions because I want to see if they necessarily pick up on some of the things that I did, or maybe they might pick up some of the things that I did not. Hmm. 
Well, I probably should let everybody know uh, where they can even find Mr. Guy. Uh, well, we have MrGuyComic.com. Um, that's M-R-G-U-Y-C-O-M-I-C.com. And then there's uh, OneshiPress.com, which is our flagship website, which, of course, I will be... You know, we'll be posting about Mr. Guy on OneshiPress.com. That's O-N-E-S-H-I-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Um, there's my personal website, which has, you know, just samples of my art and all that. That's jldraco.com, J-A-Y-E-L-D-R-A-C-O.com. And for all of those things, for well, for Jail Draco and Oneshi Press, anyway, we have Twitter, Facebook, you know, Instagram, all that. Um, but yeah, for Mr. Guy, check out MrGuyComic.com. You'll get a nice little synopsis of what we're talking about here. And you'll see samples of art and samples of pages from, you know, like I was saying, um, from Walter, from Diana, from JC, from Sophia, and, and other guest artists coming up. We'll be loading more and more art onto that site as we go. There's a good place to check, MrGuyComic.com. When was that launching again? July 1st and ends July 31st. I am really grateful for all the support you've given me and for all the encouragement and, you know, just the showing up and, you know, just being into what we're doing. It's wonderful. This podcast is your way of supporting people who are doing all different kinds of things, you know, and that's a huge thing to do, you know, and going back to the times and, quoting Gandalf, so do all who live to see such times, but that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. It's the realest shit I've heard all week. We will see you next issue. more great podcasts, visit AdrianHasIssues.com. Mr. Guy Zombie Hunter is a delicious zombie apocalypse caper of ridiculous proportions. Our reluctant F-Goblin hero, Mr. Guy, explores a smattering of zombie apocalypse tropes trying to find the cure. Each chapter is paired with a different illustrator, giving this ongoing story rich variations in flavor to keep the reader turning them zesty pages. We're kickstarting Act 1 of Mr. Guy from July 1st to the 31st, along with Oneshi Press's 10th comics anthology, Origins. For more information, visit Mr. Guy comic.com.